There's a common saying in Native American communities. When an indigenous woman goes missing, she goes missing twice. First her body vanishes, and then her story. The Blackfeet Indian Reservation in northwest Montana is home to one of the 10 largest tribes in the United States, with over 17,000 members of Blackfeet Nation. One of those members is Ashley Loring Heavy Runner. In 1855, the fierce and feared Plains warriors, known as the Blackfeet, were forced by the United States government into a treaty that gave them most of Montana east of the northern Rocky Mountains. And over time, but really not much time at all, the U.S. government continued to shrink the territory that was, quote, given to the Blackfeet Indians, as if you can really give someone something that was theirs to begin with. And the bison continued to dwindle in numbers until in 1888, the Blackfeet Indians had no choice but to sign yet another treaty with the U.S. government, this time giving them the reservation that they currently have, as well as lands in the eastern side of what is currently known as Glacier National Park. However, in 1896, the U.S. forced them yet again to give up the land that is now part of Glacier National Park. While all of this may seem like distant history, the way that we continue to neglect, disrespect, and disregard the health, safety, and welfare of Blackfeet Nation, as well as Native Americans across the country, that has not changed. Left with underfunded government programs and tribal police with no authority over major crimes or non-natives on their land, they're left to find their missing and murdered on their own, or to wait for federal authorities to get involved. We'll go over jurisdictional issues shortly, though. First, we're going to talk about Ashley Loring Heavy Runner, a beautiful 20-year-old who graduated high school as a star athlete to go on to study environmental science at Blackfeet Community College. And this beautiful, outgoing, intelligent young woman was last seen on June 5th, 2017, and her family has been left to do much of the legwork and their search for answers as to what happened to her. I'm your host, Katherine Galvin, true crime lover, seeker of justice, and intuitive medium, and this is Murder and Mediumship. Before we dive fully into this case, I'd like to take a moment to thank my listeners and those who pledge my Patreon in support of the show. I have added a PayPal link to the show notes for anyone who would like to donate in support of production of the show without making a monthly pledge. And also to thank Ambrosia and Alex Rock for the review. They wrote, I love the details she goes over and how she is always trying to help. This podcast is exciting and informative, and I highly recommend if you like true crime shows with a twist. Leave your reviews on iTunes, as the more reviews the show has, the more it will be suggested to other listeners. Thank you so much, and of course, send any show request to Katherine Galvin at katherineannintuitive.com. Ashley grew up in Montana on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation, 1.5 million acres of lakes, creeks, forestry, and mountains. As a young child, she and her two sisters, Kimberly and Jonna Lynn, were placed into foster care for a few months, and it was here that Kimberly promised Ashley that if they were ever separated, she would always come to find her. After a few months, the girls went to live with their grandparents on a ranch with their other siblings, and they spent much of their time mucking stalls, riding horses, chopping wood for their grandma's wood stove, and swimming in the creek until after dark. They thoroughly enjoyed the outdoors and were a very, very close, tight-knit family. 
Well, in June of 2017, Ashley was feeling especially heartbroken with the recent ending of her relationship, who was her first love. And we all know what it's like to lose that first love, right? It's especially devastating, especially when you're so young. And her grandfather had also passed fairly recently, I believe within the last few years. But with her broken heart, she had been, she had begun experimenting with drugs and alcohol and hanging out with an older and less than favorable crowd who was known for partying, drug use, drinking, that sort of thing. On June 5th, 2017, she stopped at her grandparents' house and had called around and messaged several people looking for a ride off the ranch. Well, I'm not sure who eventually came to get her or how she got off the ranch. She was last seen on video at a party on the reservation, drinking a beer and just talking with some other partygoers. At this time, Kimberly was out of the country in Morocco visiting her fiancé. She had received a message from Ashley earlier looking to get some money, but was unable to help as she wasn't in the States. When Kimberly got back into town, Ashley was supposed to be moving in with her in Missoula, so Kim thought that really nothing of it and asked if everything was okay. Ashley responded that everything was fine, and they kind of moved on from it. Everything was not fine, though. Days later, no one had heard from Ashley, and shockingly, at this time, there really wasn't any concern as Ashley was known to misplace phones and even break them. So it was assumed she was likely visiting with family on the reservation or with friends, but without a phone. And I kind of am bothered by this because I feel like if you're that close to your family, you would probably go out of your way to make sure you could message someone, send send some sort of um, acknowledgement so that they know that you're alive, you're okay, whatever. But it's also my understanding That cell phone service on the reservation isn't always the greatest and that in large areas of it, there isn't any service at all. So I grew up in an area that was not far from a Native American reservation. And I do know, I mean, I grew up in a small town anyway. It was super country. There wasn't a lot going on out there. There were very few cell towers. So it was easy to lose service, but especially out on the reservation where there was like nothing in existence, you could easily lose lose reception out there. And I kind of wonder if that's part of what it was, but also in this area, you have the dense forestry, you have the mountains, you go far enough out into the wilderness and you're just not going to have reception. So if she's out there visiting with some friends, they may still have a landline. And that is something that I kind of wanted to explain too, because even my own grandfather, I mean, it's 2021 right now and he doesn't have a cell phone because it doesn't get reception where he lives down in like the valleys and the hills of New York state. So not having any service really wouldn't be too shocking, but I just find it hard to believe that she didn't do anything to get a hold of anyone. So her dad's actually hospitalized in this time and her sister Kimberly returns to town. Their dad's hospitalized with sudden liver failure and Ashley still doesn't surface. And this is when Kimberly starts to think, well, what the heck's going on? So she begins to call around to Ashley's friends, trying to find her sister. But no one has seen or heard from her since the party on the 5th. Kimberly immediately goes to Blackfeet Law Enforcement and asks tribal law enforcement for help. And a three-day search begins where nothing is found. It's also the only effort that tribal law enforcement has made, according to Ashley's family, after this short tribal, after the short search, tribal police became less and less helpful. It took them two months before anyone with law enforcement began to take the luring heavy runners seriously. 
Ashley's uncle, Justin Loring, was quoted by ABC News saying that the law enforcement would only say that Ashley was of age and that she could do whatever it is that she wanted to do. Essentially, they were being blown off by the Bureau of Indian Affairs as well as tribal police. In the meantime, Kimberly had begun daily searches on the reservation and became the detective that they couldn't get detectives to be. While law enforcement blew them off, Kimberly was taking calls, reading messages, and following up on leads that law enforcement should have been following up on. She and her family even found on one of their searches, which I believe she has done over 120 searches for Ashley, but during one of these searches, her family found a gray sweater that was all tattered with what looked like blood on it, and it was thought to be Ashley's, matched the description of what she had last been seen wearing, and was located in a dumpster turned into the Bureau of Indian Affairs. This was around the same time that they received their first tip, roughly two weeks after Ashley was seen. Her family was told that someone had seen a young woman running down Highway 89 on the reservation. And this road cuts through the middle of nowhere in a swampy, forested, desolate area of the reservation, and it appeared that she was running away from a vehicle. This sweater was given to the BIA, but would sit in evidence for months upon months. I'm talking about a year before being sent off to be tested. And all the while, by the way, they still haven't heard anything back about that sweater. All the while, her family was under the impression that it was already in possession of the crime lab. It's no wonder that her family felt so heavily ignored by tribal police as well as the BIA and the FBI. Well, in addition to the sweater, a pair of red stained boots were recovered, again, by the family. These boots were found on the northern edge of the reservation near a house owned by someone named Sam McDonald, and his name is fairly well known in this investigation, so I'm going to go ahead and use it. Of course, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, blah, blah, blah. As he was also interviewed by major news agencies, I feel like it's safe to use his name. Sam is someone that Ashley was known to hang out with, and the 52-year-old even admitted, yes, 52, she is 20, 52-year-old even admitted to have been partying with her for a few days and that he had last seen her the morning of June 11th. I understand that at 20 years old, you are an adult. I also understand that myself at 20 would have made much less sound and safe decisions than I would now at 32. While it pains me to make that connection about how long ago I was 20, I would also offer that at 52, you have no business being with a 20-year-old. I feel like I want to finish that with 20-year-old girl, not woman. Regardless, I mean, she's not even of drinking age. According to Sam, Ashley had asked him to drive her to a pull-off on the reservation to meet someone known as V-Dog. That's V as in Victor. V-Dog, otherwise known as Paul Valenzuela, was also in his 50s with a known criminal record. Sam claims that while they waited for V-Dog, he put his seat back and fell asleep. And when he woke up, Ashley was no longer there. Naturally, he assumed she had left with, Val with Valenzuela. And this is Sam's story. He woke up, she was gone, and that's the extent of it. So, as it turns out, Valenzuela is married to Tashina Running Crane, also known to others as T. The couple isn't doing so well, though, and it's a known fact that Ashley and Valenzuela had a romantic or sexual relationship. But no worries. About a month after Ashley disappeared, Valenzuela filed for divorce from T, who would later claim that she knew nothing of this relationship until after Ashley disappeared. 
I do not know that I buy that. Intuitively, I feel like this is not the case. However, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt here and we'll move forward. When I initially felt into Ashley's case, I saw three people almost instantly, two male, one female. The males were definitely older, but no one was really quite about Ashley's age. In the days after Ashley's disappearance, Kimberly reached out to Valenzuela via text and was sent between T, Valenzuela, and McDonald back and forth. She very much got the sense that they were messing with her, sending her in circles, and I would have to agree. I do want to take a moment to say here that I feel that two people are directly involved with her disappearance, and I wholeheartedly... I'm not going to accuse them on this forum, but I will say that these men are not fooling anyone. And I will leave it at that. Nine months after Ashley goes missing, the FBI finally gets involved in her disappearance. Yes, nine months. In February of 2018, they are finally involved. But don't worry, they come under fire for their immediate action when 23-year-old Mackenzie Lewick, a white University of Utah student, went missing in June of 2019. Within a month of her disappearance, they found her body and arrested her suspected killer. Why wasn't Ashley afforded the same level of care and opportunity? Kimberly quit her job in Missoula and moved home to the reservation, to search for her sister as she had promised when they were children that she would always find her. In June of 2018, her family was given permission to search a trailer that T and Valenzuela had been frequent visitors to, and it was there that they found a large maroon stain on the carpet and an even larger stain underneath the carpet. However, why wasn't this already taken into evidence is bewildering. So again, Civilians are collecting evidence, not even just civilians, but her family is being exposed to all of these experiences and emotions just by losing a loved one and not having any answers. But not only that, they are actually out there in the trenches looking for answers, and that is law enforcement's job. It's fucked up. Excuse me. So they turned it in to police for testing, but as they turn in more evidence, they can't even have faith that it'll be tested, as the sweater had sat waiting for testing a year later. And we're going to lean back for a second, and I'd like to let you all know that gift cards are finally available on katherineintuitive.com. Perfect time for the holidays. So... Get your appointments booked before, as I always take a few weeks off in December and sometime in January. So head to www.katherineintuitive.com to book one for yourself or to grab a gift card. All right, back to it. What do we know now? Four years later, and there still isn't much more information available to the public at least, let alone probably at all. One thing I haven't mentioned yet, though, is that in September of 2017, A YouTube video was posted under the name T Eastwood. And yes, that user account is still up, but the video is no longer there. However, it was 14 minutes long and it was called Setup. In it, T is claiming that Valenzuela is framing her for Ashley's disappearance. She goes on to say that he has Ashley and that everyone knows it and he's trying to set her up. The post was taken down though. Like I said, it is no longer available and I scoured the internet for it. If y'all find it, please send it to me. Evidently though, a little while later, 
a reconciliation happens, and she later tells Nightline that she was blaming him only because everyone else said that it was him. So while she's being interviewed by ABC, she's in the middle of sitting down with this network. Valenzuela actually calls her from prison, where he's serving an illegal firearms conviction. And it's serving time for an illegal firearms conviction. And he hangs up as soon as she says that ABC News is interviewing her. So like I said earlier, T insists that she didn't even know about Ashley's relationship with the dog, her now ex-husband, until after Ashley disappeared. While V-Dog claims to have been in Seattle when Ashley went missing, but a report from a corrections officer to a superior court judge actually shows that V-Dog had told Washington correctional authorities where he had been arrested that he was going to Blackfeet Reservation back to Montana to collect his belongings before returning. I don't know what the legality of all of this is, but evidently it was documented, signed off on, whatever, and I believe he had to return for these court proceedings. However, he then evaded authorities for two months before returning for his sentencing in September of 2017, when he had told Washington correctional authorities that he would be returning to Blackfeet, it was only two days prior to her disappearance. Essentially, between the three of them, they continually pointing fingers at the others. While T claims that Valenzuela has her, Valenzuela claims that T knows more than she lets on, and Sam points the finger back to both of them, saying that they are really the ones that they should be, that authority should be talking to. However, not long after V Dog hangs up on T during this interview, he actually writes to Nightline. And he told them that he could let them know who made Ashley disappear and what happened to her. And even more interestingly, that he's the only one who can tell them. With all of this, law enforcement has yet to make any arrests or to even name any persons of interest or official suspects. There's a tribal law scholar, Monte Mills, who was quoted by ABC in saying, if we are really a system founded on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, can we guarantee that for the people who were here first? It would seem that we haven't been able to so far. Jurisdictional limits alone cause more problems than they do good. Essentially, there are three governments. If you're wondering like, why nothing has happened, this isn't the like reason why nothing has happened. This case has been supremely mishandled. But there are three governments that are responsible for the protection of the citizens of reservations across the nation. There is the federal authority, the state authority, and the tribal law enforcement. So the Supreme Court and various acts of Congress have, and we'll get into this in more episodes, have dictated that most tribes can only charge their own tribal members with a crime, which means that they cannot arrest anyone who commits a crime on their land who is not part of their tribe. You heard that correctly. The first time I heard this, I thought for sure I was misunderstanding it until I dove in and did a little more research on it myself. If someone who is a non-tribal member commits a crime on tribal land and tribal law enforcement responds, they have to wait for a deputy to come out to respond to the call to arrest the non-tribal member. That's crazy, right? So when law enforcement is prohibited from arresting those breaking the law on their land, what have we created? Glorified security guards? Are these mall cops? This is one huge reason why there is so much crime on reservations and nothing can be done because even their law enforcement can't legally stop it without calling in outside law enforcement. 
This makes reservations the perfect place for drug dealing, getting members addicted to their drugs, and creating a cycle of dependency. Not only can they not arrest any outsiders, but for the most part, they're even prohibited from charging their own members with major crimes like rape and murder. Charges such as these can only be handled by the FBI or the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And as we saw with Ashley's disappearance, federal government is slow to move in the protection of indigenous people. The Bureau of Indian Affairs, for as little help as they were with Ashley, even though they want to do more, if they do want to do more, it's difficult to, as they're historically one of the most underfunded government agencies in existence. Blackfeet Nation itself, if you remember, is 1.5 million acres. And if you stop to think for a moment how many officers would be needed to adequately patrol that land, I'm sure that that number in your head is much higher than the actual number of tribal police officers, one of which said it would take about 50 to do so, but I really wonder if that's a minimal number. But the number of officers that they have to patrol 1.5 million acres is 17. That's one seven. Again, the tribal police are funded by the BIA, the chronically underfunded BIA. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs mishandles the investigation into what happened to Ashley Loring Heavy Runner. We should be asking how many other cases have been that tragically mishandled. And according to the Urban Indian Health Institute, in 2016, almost 6,000 indigenous women were reported missing, but only 116 of them were logged into the National Missing Persons Database. There's a huge lack of education on how to report and how to log these cases into national databases. And if you remember, we talked a little bit during the last episode about Savannah, how Savannah's act is supposed to help alleviate some of this. This did come after that, but it still isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Because of this, Anita Lucchesi, a doctoral student at the University of Lethbridge and one of Ashley's teachers at Blackfoot Community College, created the Sovereign Bodies Institute. This is the only database in North America for logging cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Luchesi built this database through researching missing cases and filing Freedom of Information Act requests. Again, this is the only database for missing and murdered Indigenous women, and if you listened to the previous episodes from the month of November, you may recall a number of Indigenous women are entered into databases otherwise incorrectly, often labeled as Hispanic, Asian, or even white thus misconstruing the accuracy of these numbers to begin with. The numbers are likely much higher. Ashley's family is no stranger to this sort of oppression. The Blackfeet people survived forced assimilation, the loss of much of their land, disease, and starvation. There's a place called Ghost Ridge on the reservation where hundreds of Blackfeet Indians starved to death waiting for rations from the U.S. government. And in 1870, Ashley's ancestor, Chief Heavy Runner, was killed when his peaceful camp of mostly women and children was massacred by a drunk army colonel, Eugene Baker, on the Marias, excuse me, on the Marias River. So who do you think is responsible for Ashley's disappearance? Because according to her family, most people know who did it. They know what happened. They just want to bring her home so that they can perform their ancestral rituals, so that they can sing her the journey songs, so that they can send her off in peace back to her ancestors. They can give her the burial that she deserves. 
they can know in their hearts where she is. As I said before, the men who are responsible for her physical disappearance, in my opinion, my intuitive opinion, what I feel happened is that one of the men who was not involved with her physically, sexually, romantically, I believe was asserting himself in a way that dictated that she owed him as well, maybe sexually for whatever favors that he had done for her. I don't believe that she was actually driven to that place and made to wait there for V-Dog to show up. I believe that the two of them very likely did away with her in their own way. I do, in my heart of hearts, think that her family will find her. I think that they will find her remains and they'll be able to give her the burial that she so deserves and she'll be able to rest peacefully there. However, I also do not believe that justice will be brought to her. So it's our job. It is our job to help these stories be told, to help these voices be heard, to bring more attention to these cases of missing and murdered indigenous women, people of the BIPOC community, men as well, who are not given the time of day that other missing white women are given. Everyone who goes missing deserves that level of time and attention. No one deserves it more than any other, but it's not being afforded to those who are not white, and that has got to stop. And I will leave you with this. Former tribal chairman Harry Barnes expressed the Indian problem of old was to kill them and move them. The Indian problem of today is let's forget they exist. Let that sink in. And thank you for listening to Murder and Mediumship. Please share today's episode so that Ashley's story may be heard by more. Shout Murder and Mediumship out on iTunes with a five-star review to further increase the reach of the show. And thank you again for your continued support.